When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Night Sessions. I'm Eli Janney from the AG Band. Our guests today are two of the hardest working people in music today, and also two of my favorite people, Mr. Craig Finn and Mr. Josh Kaufman. Craig was the front man for Lifter Puller back in the 90s, when I think we first met, yeah, right? Yeah. And then the front man for the Hold Steady since 2003. Josh is a producer and multi-instrumentalist. That's what I read, at least. <laughs> and who has worked with the whole... <laughs> worked with the whole study, Craig Finn, obviously. Josh Ritter, National War on Drugs, and is just an all-around nice guy. Correct? Correct. Shucks. <laughs> Thanks for having us. <laughs> Thank you. So let's start with a little history. Uh, Craig, you began playing music way back in 1994 with Lifter Puller? Uh, Lifter Puller is my first real band, yeah, and that was 1994. Yeah. Um, and it took a while to get off the ground. The, the glory years were quite, if you call it that, we're, we're a little bit later. But uh, yeah, 94 was probably the genesis of it. But we played together, right? Yeah, didn't, yeah. Didn't it would have been 99, I think, or oh, a 98. Uh, okay. it, was, it was actually technically, I think your band, Girls Against Boys, was playing under a secret name at Brownies. Um, oh, it was a secret show. It was, One, it was sec- so secret that not enough people showed up. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it felt like that. Um, it was like, wow, maybe this is too secret. <laughs> a little, I think that was Scott's joke. Like, yeah. It's a little too secret. Yeah. But you've basically been making music pretty consistently since then. Yeah. Since, um, so 25 years, I guess. Is isn't that, that crazy? Yeah, That's that feels what I crazy. calculating. I was like, wow. Yeah, it feels like... Uh, but, at the, you know, at, at some point, it's just sort of what you do. I mean... I mean, I guess the nice thing about doing these solo records is you're building something you can't break up with, you know, like, like, but, but, you know, I I don't, I don't see, I, at this point, songwriting is kind of just how I, uh, process the things going on with my life. And, um, it doesn't seem like something that'll, that'll stop regardless of who's around me. Right. Who you're playing with. Cause I was thinking back to those days and like how we used to write music. I don't know about if this is the same for you, but it was just such a different task. It seems so monumental then like trying to create a song. Now it's just like, we're under the gun in there. It's like, we just like crank out the songs. 
I think one of the things that's changed a lot for me from 1994, you know, Lifter Puller, is is the this idea that you had to create the song. And I think I have a different understanding of what a song is now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, maybe it didn't need to be, you know, you don't need all the drums and the bass to make that song. The song is, you know, the melody and the words and, 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 and those things. And it can be played by any number of people. Right. Um, and I think in that way, that was freeing in some way to understand. I don't think I understood that until the early 2000s. No, till about 2000, 2011, I think, is when I figured <laughs> that out. And that's when you made your first solo yeah. record? You're well, like, the oh, producer on the first solo record, I was kind of apologetic and I was like I don't know if I've got it you know I've got I guess I've got words and I've got you know got this you know but I'm not a great guitar player and he was like if you can sing the song to me over the phone you got the song we can worry about the rest and I was like wow yes I do have the songs because I can do that right so melody comes first melody and words I guess are just some I guess words and and a way to say them it's like (laughs) you know yeah uh, some some approach (laughs) When you were with Lifter Puller, was it like a collaborative writing process? We used to just, you know, jam in the room and that, that would kind of, those songs would kind of form. Largely, yeah. I mean, there were, there were exceptions to that, but um, largely there were, it was like things like, you play that, that sounds cool. Keep playing that. Yeah, and, let's you know. work on, build and off it, of that. It, to me, it feels, looking back, extremely time consuming. Um, like, you know, I mean, I mean, but you know, your lives were, you know, it was my early twenties. So I, I, being in the practice space five nights a week was no problem. Um, but you know, it just seemed like it took a long, many hours to come up with one of these compositions. Yeah. And it also seemed, I don't know if this was the way it was for you, but it seemed like people would be very precious about their parts, (laughs) you know? And so it was kind of like, well, that's not really working. Can you change it? And then like people would get... Was that sort of rock at the time, too? I think there was this idea of, like, pure... I don't know, like, like everyone had the part, and everyone had to, everyone yeah. was equal, and there was no leader, and it was like yeah. all this, you know... No leader. All of this yeah. was wrapped into it. Um, yeah, maybe that's true. Yes, Josh, you have I a have question? But I think in bands, it's different, because you have identity. Everybody has their role to play, and then when there's an adjustment that needs to happen, sometimes it's like... Oh no, I didn't prepare those lines, you know, all of a sudden I think my role is slightly true. changing here right. and maybe that's scary or whatever, you're giving it up to another thing. Yes, absolutely. Fear based. When you're young you don't know how to like Yeah, at that in that age too, where you're I just expend a lot of energy like in jealousy yeah. of my bandmates. Or I'm like, dude, the better the song is, the better my life is gonna be. <laughs> or, or or like the other thing is also I think this is a youth thing, but like, well, that's kind of boring to play. It's like, yeah. well, oh, but, but right, it makes the yeah. song sound good. I know, but I'm kind of bored. Yeah. Like, and it's like, well, you, you don't have to be challenging yourself physically on every, every song. Every single yeah, thing yeah. has you know, to like, yeah. It, it's interesting you brought this up though, because I think when Josh and I started working together and, and we made three of so, my solo records now, and one of the cool things that we've made these records largely with him playing most of the instruments, Joe Russo plays a lot of the drums and percussion. Um, but it's the three of us and an engineer mostly. And um, you get for making this, these records you early on, on the first record we made, I realized this real benefit to that for one, there's not a lot of bodies around in a small studio space, but if you get to a song and you say, well, you know, this song, it's sounding great. I don't know that it needs a bass. It's not a difficult, you know, right. conversation to right. have that. Or this doesn't <laughs> yeah. need drums. Or like, yeah, you know, yeah. like there's no one. There's not all of a sudden these idle hands, you know, that right, you have right. to put to work. And yeah, it's like, yeah. no, it's it's sounding really nice. 
I think youth is part of that too, because now if like, if we're writing something and I'm like, oh, this sounds great. I'll just pedal along or just play with the bass player. Just like simplify, simplify, you know what I mean? So when you sat in with the, with the HE band, Mm -hmm. when you were saying with us, which was great fun, you actually completely kept up with us in our crazy speed writing style. And I was thinking about that and I was thinking, has lyric writing gotten easier since? And I understand there's a shift between lifter puller and the hold steady, obviously, but do you think that over time it's now coming more flow or does it come in waves or did you have a drought at some point? I mean, I think I've sort of found my voice so I can kind of go there and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and get, you know, things out onto paper. I think it's also the way I've learned to write in the past five to 10 years is to really try to get stuff down and then edit it. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll try to write a lot with the idea that some of it's just going to go in the garbage or just, you know, in, in the case of playing with HE band, not in the garbage, but it's going to go out once, you know, right. like, and like that's no, it. it's not going to be like overanalyzed it's not a permanent by thing. anyone. Right, right. So it's like, yeah, I can write these lyrics, uh, in, in a half hour yeah. and I'll, I'll, and they match to the music and we'll go do them and they'll sound great at that moment, you know? Yeah. I found our process very freeing because yeah, it's ethereal. It's just going to be gone. Like, yeah. Because next tomorrow is another show and we got to write I more love songs. that about being on the show. I thought that that was one of the greatest things is like we, you sort of build all day to do the show and we'd write, you know, I'd come in, we'd write the music. I'd sit with you guys, we'd write the music and the words and then we'd do the show. And then it was like, like the crazy thing about being here is when the show's over, it's like over. And like, yeah, also, everyone's, you know, gone. everyone's gone and you're like, whoa. And then I remember going home and it was right before Christmas and it was like a really nice time of the year. And I'd go home and I'm like, like, there's no homework. Right. There's no, there's nothing I could be nothing doing. Nothing to think about. There's nothing I could be doing that would make tomorrow better. No. And that was really nice. Like, I was like, that's a really nice feeling. Well, you'll have to come back and do it again because it was so Love much it. fun. Uh, you moved to New York in 2001, is that 2000. right? 2000. Why did you move from, other than, I mean, obviously you wanted to see more Girls Against Boys shows. Yeah. But, uh. Well, it was, I mean, that was a big one, but I think it was also, I was, I was you know, I was any, nearing the end of my 20s. I was kind of, I guess the, the, the big answer, although it may not have been revealed to me at the moment, I think I was looking for a creative place, a place to be around creative people that was serious, you know, and I felt like, there was certainly creativity in Minneapolis, but in the music thing, there was a lot of like, you know, hey, let's meet at the bar. We'll have a couple of drinks. Then we'll see if we want to head over to rehearsal. And then we, well, maybe we didn't get there tonight, you know? Right. And like, I was, ex- I wanted to go someplace where people showed up on time, you know, and, and worked hard at things. Um, I also was in, I was married at the time and I, it sort of felt like either buy the house, have the kid right. or... You were at a crossroads. Yeah, there. I was at a crossroads, right. and I, I chose chaos. Yeah, I, I definitely find when I moved from D.C. to New York that the pressure, economic and otherwise, of being in New York definitely made you okay. We have to do this. We have to you have to do something to survive. Mm-hmm. And also, there's a lot of inspiration here. You see all these live shows, which you know, like they're gone once they're performed, and they're very inspiring, but also challenging in a way where you're like. I have to be as good as these guys. I, I can certainly say there's a certain, like a, there was a, 
what do you do is a thing like that comes up in New York. And like, that's rude to ask. I feel like in Minneapolis, like, uh, like, like, you know, like, like, what do you do? Who are you? What do you, you know, like, right. Like, that question, that question does feel weird in other cities. Yeah. And like in New York, like, that's like what you expected. You want to have a good answer. You want to be like, well, I do a little this, a little that you want to be like, I am the guy, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have a very defined role in this world. Yeah. And you're also defining yourself at that age too. Yeah. You know, like that's another trans transition in life when you go from your late 20s to your early 30s you're like okay what am i doing you made your first solo record in 2012 is that yeah, what you yeah. said what was the thought process why did you do that was you felt like you were not accomplishing things in the hold steady cuz hold steady had been actually yeah. very successful yeah. at that point it was I kind of i can't exactly remember my but uh, <laughs> i think what it was it, it, i think what it boils down to at the time was that I wanted to work, I I wanted to work even more, you know, like I wanted to have this, keep, keep doing this thing. And, and at that point, the whole steady been around a while and there were certain things that we would, we did a certain way and I wanted to maybe like look into doing things. What I found is it sort of made, it made me better, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like it really helped. But I also think that, I mean, there's, there's a thing about being in a band, there's a, there, you know, a band is a band of people, but it's all, it's a business and it's also you know, there's band dynamics. So, <laughs> and, and even like, you know, it's even like, wow, I could just work on these songs without getting the other four guys here. Mm-hmm. You know, like if someone's not around, I could still be working. And so, um, and that's kind of what, in some ways, a, a simple way of saying what the solo career is, a very simple way of saying alongside the whole study is it allows me to work as much as I want, which is always see hardest working hardest break. i told you uh, and how did you end up working with josh josh and i met at bob the bob weir thing at tri i think that's where we met explain what the bob weir thing is okay so um bob has a studio out in san rafael called tri tampale research institute and it's just like a silly like uh-huh. name for his studio uh, and he and he would have these events there. He was curating these events where he'd have like people come out, and he would actually kind of do something similar to this, where he'd have like a podcast, and he'd have like you know there'd be like a Q and A with him or with you know some different artists that he was working with or were in his orbit. Anyway, for the would be Jerry Garcia's seventieth birthday, he had a big party there, and he made this like live concert DVD of like all these different artists performing Jerry Garcia songs coming together, like all in from, you know, kind of all different styles of music and stuff. And Tad and Craig came out and played Scarlet Begonias. And U.S. Blues. And U.S. Blues. Yeah. yeah. And so we, so we, we met there. there. Yeah. Oh, how yeah. did, so how did you get it? It was weird. It just showed up and I, and it just showed up and I was like, that sounds fun. I was, you know, a Grateful Dead fan of some Tad, I, I think was just along for the ride. Yeah. But anyways, it, uh, we got in, we were kind of under, uh, we, we, we had, you know, like maybe little to no business being there, but it was fun. <laughs> and I met Josh and then not that long after a couple months later, I was on tour with Patterson Hood and Will Johnson, and we were in The Hague or something. Like That's in, right. In Crossing Holland. Borders Festival, right? Crossing Borders Festival in Holland, and I saw him. He was on tour with this woman, Hannah Cohen, and we talked. And then I think Josh came and saw our show, which was like three songwriters on stage just kind of trading songs. Yeah. And I was playing a lot of stuff that I hadn't 
put out yet. And Josh said, hey, if you ever want someone to help you with that. And I, again, I was kind of at a point where I was like, you know, sometimes bands can be a little slow, cumbersome, etc. cetera. And it's like, well, it'd be cool if I could just work on this stuff, you know? Yeah. And so we had coffee and made a plan to record some of it. And we went up and we grabbed Joe Russo, who I'd met along the way. And Josh knew well. And um, he knew about the studio, the Isocon up in Woodstock. And this engineer, Dan Goodwin. And we went up there. And the first session, which became uh, Faith in the Future. I don't. We didn't really even know we were making an album yet. We were just recording some songs. But uh, the first session was great because we were literally driving like hell to beat a snowstorm. We knew we were going to get snowed in. Oh. And the studios, and it's very like, sort of picturesque, like, like on the side of a mountain. It's kind of a studio. It's like A-frame house with nothing really around it. And just snow feet feet of snow you know like wow and we were just there for whatever you know four or five days i remember kind of like hurrying through the supermarket getting food yeah. because like we knew like you want to get back to the house yeah. before you yeah. Drive well, we, anymore. yeah exactly and and then we all got in there and we made four or five songs and that and it felt perfect. really it good great. and it was yeah. like i think this is the start of something and, wow. and it really honestly it feels like from at least when i look back it hasn't really ended since then meaning like we just kept recording wow. like every once in a while it's like hey there's enough for an album you know like, well that was one of my questions like how do, i know that, that you're always writing stuff and josh how do you guys decide this collection is an album or you just keep recording well this last this most recent record we were more decisive with i think because we figured out the feeling that we wanted it to have we like kind of locked into this emotional impact in a very specific way early on in the recording process, which didn't happen as much on the other records. And I feel like that's what made this one feel, they've all been incredible experiences for us, but we felt like we were working up to this one the whole time. And we didn't know that until we got to it, but we figured out the tone and the instrumentation and the feeling and the types of stories that Craig was writing all worked in this sort of one way. We were calling it this days gone by feeling. And, so that was the key to that to that record, this most recent one, I think. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had this kind of thing, Days Gone By, which which was like not so much, just this kind of wistfulness. A lot of the songs lyrically dealt with people that were kind of like uh, having a hard time keeping up with this modern world or being kind of weighed down by something in their past. And so kind of there's this almost this futuristic slash nostalgic feel to the music that we stumbled on that seemed to fit the themes of the songs right and this this yearning of something almost there um that we were shooting for and once we got that it felt like we knew what songs were appropriate for it yeah you knew what you didn't need yeah you're like oh we have like we're like we could start making a song or or get to the end of one and be like oh that's really cool but i don't know if that really fits this feeling that we're trying to evoke here. So let's put it over there and keep on going, you know? And wow. That's interesting. So you sort of had like an emotional target that you were trying to, yeah. Or a feeling you were trying to create. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting way to approach an album. It was really good. It's, it's great to have a sort of a code to make your decisions Mm because otherwise everything's like, well, it's a good song. Yeah. I like that one. You know, yeah. like, it could keep going. Like the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, I have a trivia question for you. Yes. I have heard that mm-hmm. you learned your first guitar chords from a neighbor that needed accompaniment. Is yeah. that true? Well, is that yeah, how you became a musician? It's just well, my friend Sean Quinlan 
who used to take these guitar lessons from a guy named Joe Bazaar. Um, he, <laughs> a great he name, took, yeah, I, I took, I took one lesson from Joe Bazaar, but Sean took many and I would go over to Sean's house after school and, and he would have like the solo to stairway to heaven. And I, and he'd like be like, these are the chords. And I'd be like, awesome. <laughs> and I was content to just be rhythm to yeah. all my buddies really like playing. I was like, I love this job. And it was great. Cause I could like watch the way everybody played, you know, I don't know. I feel like guitar, especially at that age for me, like playing in garage bands with my friends and stuff like that. It's very visual. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, Oh wow. It's like, that's, that's how you do that. Watching it, <laughs> you know, that was a thing at some point. Cause even like when I went to college, I remember I, I like people would be like, you know, do you want to play? And then you'd get go over there, and someone would have like one of those Ovation roundbacks. Yeah, yeah. And then you play, and and there'd always be one guy who can like do the pentatonic, like just solo, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you go, just and then I'd be, that. and I'd be like the guy, who'd just be like, I can just do the A and the D, <laughs> and then you figure out all these different ways to do the same chord to keep yourself entertained. You know, all the different phrasings, uh-huh. and it's kind of nice. It's kind of kind of good. It helps. It's yeah, it was fun. I mean, it was just like I think also like I came to it a little bit later than everyone else because I didn't start playing till I was like fifteen. Whereas like I think everyone is thirteen is like already like playing mm-hmm. like Purple Haze and stuff like that. And oh, like, that's oh, I wish oh, I had yeah. jumped on that. I guess so. Yeah. Now, Josh, you've worked as a player or producer with yeah. many different artists. When you guys first started working together or start talking about making these songs, knowing that Craig had already had this career with with the hold steady is mm-hmm. was your approach different from that as to say to working with dawn or somebody who doesn't have as many records under her belt you just think it about is, songs? i think at the conversation i remember the early conversations with craig which were like about what he has done and about what we would like to make you know the like the feeling again the feeling that we'd want to evoke with the music and the kinds of sounds that might help us do that, which I feel like is always the conversation that you have with someone when you start anything, but you don't really know, or at least I don't ever really know until we're like actually working mm-hmm. what it's going to ha- what's going to happen. You can talk about it, you know, but like this thing you were excited about, you know, maybe it doesn't sound that good and it's only as good as it sounds. So then you just move on to the next thing. Yeah. I do. I would say that I think that both of us are people that can talk about things in the abstract and then try to apply it mm-hmm. in real. Uh-huh. Yeah. And cause some people just can't do that. Some people are like, I don't, you know, you can say like, I want it to be elegant. And they're like, is that like a G? Right. You're like, no, no, like it's like a feeling, you know? Oh, yeah. so an A? Yeah. You know? I only brought my running shoes today. Oh. Yeah. But that is interesting because part of that, I always thought, like, the, as a music producer's role is to translate those ideas, if you're working with an engineer or not, to try to put them into the reality of, like, okay, so how do we actually put that on tape? Yeah. Because totally. I, I know there's being an engineer for a long time in that community there's some people who are really like i hate it when people say i want it to sound more brown and i'm like i love, I that. love that stuff. that's perfect i don't <laughs> yeah, want yeah. someone to tell me turn it up this frequency that's the worst oh, like, yeah, that's totally. my job like yeah, just yeah. tell me what you want emotionally wise but it seems yeah. like you guys have this way of talking about the music that really works for your style as far as the production goes did you guys like work on a schedule were you like under deadlines or mm, not so much mm-hmm. i mean deadlines don't ever really come till the very end <laughs> yeah. i'm like wait can we hear it yeah. the mastering always gets me i i like uh i mean i i think like we were able to 
just from where I'm at with my career, we were able to kind of make the record and then show it to the label. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like, yeah, like that's true. It, you know, it, it's a little different when you're 22. And well, like, also the way that we used to make records was very different too, because the costs were right. were paid for by somebody else. Whereas yeah. now, the cost between the computerization and also just the market pressure, like recording, is a lot cheaper than it used to be. Sure. So you can kind of make records, and also we're older and we've made money, so now we can afford to pay for. It. It's also like you don't you can at least make it and then give it to the label and get a check from them rather than yeah. you know take it up front and then invite them all in. Like yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's know. true because it's a different dynamic when you do that. It's yeah. like oh, this yeah. is, they own this. Whereas when you have it, you're like, this is mine. Yeah, it's Would all about like who it? touches it first. It's like a lot of things that way, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, okay, one last question, Craig, about your lyrics. You've been lauded for your lyrics a lot. You're, you're known as a quite a writer. You create these lives and these stories about people and these characters in there. But there was a quote from you that uh, I love that said, you, you like to write about the hangover, not just the party. What is it that draws you to that part of it? Well, for a long time, I was... <laughs> For a long time, I was mainly writing when I was hungover, um, so <laughs> that might have been it. But um, I, I think that it's just an honest representation of you know, like I think that the the idea of like going up and coming down is is attractive to me as a, as a pair of things because there's this elation and then there's like, you know, the 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 the, the floor the next day after a party that's sticky and you have oh, to clean God. it up and you're like, you have to say like, was this worth it? You know, and, and, and it's only worth it like 50% of the time, you know, or probably less. So I, I don't know. I just sort of think that is a, a, an interesting part of, of the, you know, the world we live in, the lives we lead, that we kind of like can manufacture these artificial highs, but then at, at the expense of our own self. And um, that's always... Uh, I, just, that's, I, I love it because it's very honest. Yeah. Like it, it does give a, a realist kind of view of what it's like it's that honest i think like it's not honest to thing about the high if you don't you know you you don't mention the accompanying low it's true because you know so much of the pop music and stuff like that that you listen to it's all about being at the club and yeah. blah, blah, you know going yeah. to the club and, and, and i remember hanging out with my my niece who was like 20 just turned 21 she comes to new york and she's all about like she wants to go to the club and i'm like there's what why like to you know as an old person i'm like i'm not interested in that anymore but then i had to think back oh no i used to do that all the time and just get wrecked there was this hotel i was in in like melbourne australia and i had a club next door and whatever happened in this club like at midnight one in the morning every night i was there i was there for a few nights there'd be girls crying outside and like and, and a bunch of them had lost one shoe and I always thought like that that's it. See, like they went in there and it was gonna be the night of their life, you know? And then you yeah. end up crying with one shoe. <laughs> and you know, that's a more interesting song to me. <laughs> well, that's beautiful. Let's end it right there. That crying with one shoe. Yeah. Guys, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having uh, us. Congratulations on the new record. Thank it's you. really, really, thanks, really good. Awesome. All right. That's a wrap. Late Night with Seth Meyers airs weeknights on NBC at 12.35, 11.35 Central. Original music on the Late Night podcast is by the HG Band. Don't forget to follow the handle Late Night Seth on social media and tell your friends to subscribe to the Late Night podcast wherever they get their podcasts. Welcome to Pura. 
the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the Outer Lands. There's no crime in Pura. No murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promised to keep you safe. They killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pura. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.